Silence is golden, especially when it comes to brakes. That's why Napa Silent Guard are built to be one of the smoothest and most quiet brakes on the market. Made with fiber-reinforced shims that eliminate noise for the life of the pad, rubber-coated hardware for a better fit, and quality design that meets and exceeds OE performance. Silent Guard brakes deliver the stopping power drivers demand. Available now at Napa locations nationwide. The Motor Racing Network presents an MRN original podcast series. Have a look at Jeff Gordon. He's starting to close the gap. Jeff Gordon, the colorful career of the Rainbow Warrior. I don't look at him, at him as grown-ups when I'm out there. I just look at him as competitors. What a big day for young Jeff Gordon and the Bill Davis Racing Team. This is uh, the biggest dream come true for me ever. Jeff Gordon is leader. Earnhardt is second. Sorry, bud, but Jeff Gordon, he's just a better driver than you are. Jeff Gordon holds off a last lap charge by Jeff Burton and wins the Winston Million. He won those championships. He revolutionized the sport. They're side by side on quarter number four. Gordon leans on Jimmy Johnson coming down to the line. People can see there definitely was a change in our relationship. From the Motor Racing Network studios in Concord, North Carolina, Here's your host, Brian Nelson. Welcome to episode two of Jeff Gordon, the colorful career of the Rainbow Warrior. I'm Brian Nelson. By February 1985, 13-year-old Jeff Gordon had already proved himself as a racing success in the western United States in go-karts and quarter midgets. Having done about all he could in those circles, Jeff, under guidance from his stepdad, John Bickford, was pursuing a new form of racing, where most of his competitors were grown men. 650 horsepower sprint cars. Jeff's stepdad admits it was the only next step to take. When you looked around, there really wasn't anything to do. All of these stepping stones that the kids nowadays have, whether it be a Legends car, Bandoleros, um, various go-kart programs that are designed specifically for kids growing up, uh, 50cc motorcycles that they can race. There's so many motorized competitive things for kids today, and all of them have occurred after 1985. There's none of them that go before that. So we really had no choices. Every, every other sport that we could get into was a 16 or an 18 year old and it was another young teenager that inspired jeff's move to sprint car racing this opportunity came through a magazine article of a kid in florida named sport allen who was 14 and he was driving a sprint car bicycle quarter midget not such a big jump (laughs) quarter midgets and go-karts to sprint cars was the biggest jump that I ever experienced in my career. Lee Osborne, a well-known sprint car chassis builder, sent a car to California, and it was prepared during the winter of 84 and 85 for Jeff's debut that February in Florida. Thursday, February the 7th, and we're at East Bay Speedway in Florida. Hi, everybody. I'm Jerry Klum with the Racing Review. A midwinter tradition. And here we are at East Bay Speedway, Gibsonton, Florida, just outside Tampa, near the bay. And this is the ninth running, the ninth annual East Bay Winter Sprint Car Nationals. The All-Star Circuit of Champions showcased some of sprint car racing's biggest names and a few that none had ever heard of. And talk about a young driver. There's Jeff Gordon from Vallejo, California, 13 years old. At 13, when I was driving a sprint car, 
and everybody else was in their mid to late 20s or older, then I realized I'm, I'm the kid. But he wasn't the only kid. And there's Sport Allen, a 14-year-old from Florida. 13 and 14-year-olds driving sprint cars. Doesn't seem possible, but these boys are good, and their futures look very bright. Racing Review Video's Jerry Klum covered Jeff's first qualifying run. Next up is 13-year-old Jeff Gordon from Vallejo, California. And Jeff is just starting in sprint cars. A go-kart champion, a driver of quarter midgets, his first time in a sprint car. He's looking very smooth, very sure of himself. He comes down for a clocking of 16-11, and that's a little bit off the pace. The fact that I didn't wreck the very first time I was on the track is pretty amazing uh, to be that age. And, and to, to it, it sh- tells me two things. One, you'd be amazed at what kids are capable of doing. Um, and how their brain is a sponge and how it, how it just latches on and learns so quickly. But at the same time, um, you know, it, it taught me that that may have been too big of a step. And, and I wouldn't do that with my own kids, but I'm glad my stepdad did it for me and it all worked out. Jeff spent most of that race week learning how to handle his sprint car's massive motor. He got faster, but he started most of his races in the back. 16X Jeff Jeff Gordon is sitting in the back of this heat race lineup. He actually qualified farther up and was able to start in the second row, elected to go to the tail so he could gain some experience. The green flag, the race underway. Jeff's stepdad, John Bickford. We were there to learn. This was an educational process. We were never going to try to replace Steve Kinzer as the greatest driver in sprint car history or Doug Wolfgang or Jack Hewitt or any of those. That wasn't our goal. Our, our goal at that time was to get to a sprint car race and see what happened. And Jeff Gordon staying out of trouble. He's doing a good job back in the back of the pad, gaining some valuable experience. At, at that um, stage of my life, I was having to prove to people that I could do this because most people doubted, and for good reason. <laughs> you should not put a 13-year-old kid in a 650-horsepower sprint car. I, I, I know that now at the time. And again, goes back to my stepfather. If he told me I could do it, he believed in me more than I believed in myself. And Jeff quickly validated his stepfather's confidence as he got the hang of his powerful sprint car that first week at East Bay Speedway. And he earned approval to hold his qualifying position and race for real for the event's final night. Time for the B feature. Boy, Steve, we got some heavy hitters on the front row. Rick Unger from Indianapolis, Shane Carson, one of the good runners, Danny Smith, Bob East. Jeff didn't finish high enough to transfer to the main event. But through that experience, he began to earn the respect of some of Sprint Car Racing's biggest stars. Position, the 40 car, the black machine of Jeff Gordon. Can he hold up Wolfgang? Can anybody hold up Wolfgang? It, it taught me so many great lessons, and I think it, it adapted me, and it prepared me for any challenge that came my way after that. Uh, you know, I, It could have killed me, too. Uh, I feel like I go back in time, and I just think, wow. After that successful initiation to sprint car racing at East Bay Speedway in February of 1985, Jeff and his dad returned home to California riding high. When we got back, we made a lot of media, a lot of news attention. He, he actually looked good on the racetrack. He, he, uh, he was competitive in, his, in the class, the, the, the heat races he was in and so on. And so all the tracks were hey, what's the chances of Jeff Gordon coming and racing at our track? Well, those were promoters calling. 
So the track owners and the attorneys representing the various tracks are going, oh my God, Gordon might be okay, but what about these other kids? We can't do this. Our rules are 18. Jeff was still 13, but in demand from track promoters. The problem was that track ownership, which would be held liable, didn't want to open the floodgates to ambitious underage racers. For Jeff to continue racing, something had to be done. So I'm calling track owners. They're all going, yeah, we don't think so. We don't think so. Promoters are going, oh, yeah, yeah. We, we can get around this. We can get around this. So Kerry Agajani and I had a conversation um, he represented a lot of tracks of guidance. He had not been their official attorney, but he gave them a lot of guidance. And Kerry told me, he said, look, he said, the only thing we can do here is think about emancipation. He said, emancipation is used a little bit in the movie industry, okay? And basically what you're doing is you're going to be treated like an adult under a specific contract that you're signed. So the contracts that you sign when you go in the back gate of a racetrack, the insurance form, print and sign, everybody knows about those. Basically, they say that the person who prints and signs is not going to sue the racetrack in the event that he's in, he or she is injured at the racetrack, whether you're a spectator or whether you're a competitor. And that way, the insurance company knows that they're only going to be responsible for certain things. They're not going to have to deal with a lawsuit every time somebody gets hit with a rock or whatever. If emancipated, the 13-year-old Jeff Gordon could be treated like an adult while racing, which would put track owners at ease. And Jeff went before a superior court judge. We petitioned the court. The court was willing to hear it. And the judge asked him, do you know what these contracts mean? Yes, sir. And the judge asked a series of dozen or so questions. And uh, he said, well, young man, he said, uh, I'm willing to sign this thing. And the court signed it, stamped it. And now I had Jeff was emancipated for the signature of that contract. He was not emancipated. He wasn't going to be treated as an adult for a speeding ticket or other things. But as it related to that contract, he was emancipated and treated as an adult. Despite the legal declaration, some track operators in California still refused to let Jeff compete. Hanford Speedway let him qualify, and they would let him hot lap and qualify, and that was it. He couldn't race. So he hot lapped one of the fastest cars. He was there four times. Four times he made the trophy dash, which is the fastest four cars. Of those two times, twice he was quick time. Okay, And this is against all of the Northern California, the Jimmy Sills, the Brent Cadings, the Chuck Greens, all these guys were there. So we were pretty proud of ourselves. Uh, and that gave us the enthusiasm to head east. Through the summer of 1985, Jeff Gordon and family spent their weekends traveling from their home base in Vallejo, California, to races up and down the West Coast. When we moved into the sprint cars, we had done a lot of the prerequisites that many kids had. We knew how to travel. We knew how to live in a hotel. We knew how to work on the cars. We were very organized. We lived in a structure of this is how we do it. This is what we do. But the real opportunities for Jeff and his promising career lay 2,200 miles east in Sprint Car Racing's hotbed, Indianapolis, Indiana. There was multiple places in the eastern side of the United States that would allow someone of Jeff's age, their basic line, if you can qualify for the race, you can race. That was their, their thinking. The, the western side of the United States had liability challenges. They had concerns about ki other kids who weren't qualified coming out, doing different things. And we saw a little bit of that after Jeff got started, that unqualified individuals who 
who had tremendous amount of resources to buy uh, enormous horsepower and various things like that were making uh, attempts that were disrupting uh, the whole process of, of learning and accomplishing and they were interrupting that. So Jeff's stepdad and mom began to consider whether they should stay in their hometown of Vallejo, California or move eastward to Indiana. It was something they had considered before. Very first time when we went quarter midget racing one time, we went to uh, Indiana. We were driving all through the hills, going to a quarter midget track, and really it was probably one of the first times that I'd really been that far outside of California. And I looked at everything and I told John, I said, I could live like this. Jeff's mom, Carol Bickford, said the decision to move was easy, even though she was leaving behind her family and friends. You know, there was no fences. There was, you could see people's pools in their backyard when you're just driving down the road. These out in the country. But, um, you know, just growing up in California and, and seeing houses stacked on top of houses and all these high fences, I, I really liked being out in the country. So that part of it was pretty easy. Once we, uh, I actually found the house, uh, bought it. John had never seen it. Jeff had never seen it. Um, and, and it was out in the country. We had about five acres. There was cornfields on one side and bean fields on the other. Um, it was, once we made that uh, decision to do that, it, it wasn't hard. It wasn't really hard to leave. And I found out very quickly that once we left California and lived in Indiana, I actually had more communications with my family and my friends than I did when I was living there. And although Vallejo, California was the only hometown Jeff had ever known, he was all in for a move to Indianapolis. To me, that was the great one of the greatest things that ever happened to me because we had friends, the Stanley family that built quarter midgets that I raced that lived in Indiana. Their son, Robbie, was racing sprint cars. So that was sort of my first introduction to sprint cars, a guy named Lee Osborne who built our sprint cars, and, and even my first chance to go to the Indianapolis 500. You know, the, the track that I wanted to race at was in Indianapolis. The guy who was my hero was from Indiana, from Bloomington, Indiana, with Steve Kinzer. And, and, and then we had friends that were in Indiana that were racing. And all I kept hearing about was, this is the mecca. This is, this is the center of, of the type of racing that we're doing. And, and so we would go visit, and I'd just be in, oh, man, this is amazing. I love this. I, you know, I, 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 so when, as soon as my parents said, well, we think we're going to move here, I, I was all for it. And his stepdad found that Midwestern life would help keep Jeff out of trouble. We're now going to be a Midwestern family, a Midwestern schools. Um, kids get out of school, they go get on the tractor, they do their farming, they have their chores. We just, we, we weren't going to be faced with the problem of, of uh, him having downtime and getting in trouble, getting doing all the wrong things, and we're chasing around, you know, as many parents have to do. Jeff and his family transplanted to Pittsburgh, Indiana. And he lived to race, having to balance his drive to compete with more typical teenage responsibilities. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't one of these kids where I was homeschooled or I was missing a lot of school. I missed the max you could miss, but not more than that. <laughs> and I was an average student. I, you know, I wasn't a great student. I was an average student. And, and I put, you know, the amount of work and effort into, 
into school that, that I had to. My parents pushed me for that part of it also. And, and uh, I, yeah, I live, I don't want to say the weekends, but I live for racing for sure. On the track and racing in the Midwest, Jeff's mom said his primary goal was not to win races. We weren't trying to win races. We weren't trying to set track records. We weren't trying to do anything but let Jeff learn. That was it. I mean, we would have been happy if he would have qualified for the pole and started in the back just to learn. But to have the, uh, the group of guys, uh, the Steve Kinzers and, and uh, Doug Wolfgang, and I mean, there's, there's so many guys that were so helpful and kind of took him in. I think at first that they might have been a little bit leery, but they, when they could see that Jeff had the talent and what we were trying to accomplish, that he wasn't out there to try to beat them or, or set track records or set the world on fire. That's not what it was about. Um, and when they realized that, they took him under their wing and they really helped him along. At ages 13, 14, and 15, Jeff Gordon blossomed as a sprint car racer. And in 1987, he traveled halfway around the globe to test his skills against the world's best in Australia. The flying 15-year-old is still too young to drive the family car at home. He goes to school like other kids, but on weekends, he's become dirt track racing's teenager rager. I, I don't look at him, at him as grown-ups when I'm out there. I just look at him as competitors. He raced well at tracks in Perth and New South Wales. Well, the teacher and the apprentice could best describe these two drivers. Jimmy Sewells is the teacher. He has uh, been driving sprint cars for many years. He is one of the most experienced on the American racing scene. The the, uh, teenager in second place, there he is, car number 16, has only been racing sprint cars for the last 10 months. Back at home, Jeff, the kid, continued to make a name for himself at tracks throughout the Midwest. His age, rarely an issue. Until one race. We, we had uh, a race at Eldora, Earl Baltus track, before Tony owned it. And there was a heat race. And they we came off of turn four and, and, and you know to get the green. And they didn't like the start, and they threw the yellow. And so I'm on the front row, and I check up. You know, and I probably checked up a little bit too quick. You know, it was one of those things where you should just roll around one and two and then check up. I check up, and the guy behind me drives over the top of me and gets in the wall and complained. You know, and he said, hey, this kid doesn't doesn't belong out here. And Earl banned me from, from his tracks from, I guess I was probably 14, maybe. So, you know, until I was, until I was 16. He raced his dirt sprint car at tracks throughout the Midwest, Eldora, Bloomington, Millstream, Bryan, and he competed in sprint car racing's most prestigious events, the King's Royal at Eldora and the Knoxville Nationals. In 88, 89, and 90, Jeff drove the USAC National Sprint Car Series on dirt and pavement. Well, Jeff Gordon has come from virtually nowhere. He was at least a straightaway behind. He raced USAC Midgets and later Silver Crown Cars, much of it with live television coverage on ESPN's Thursday Night Thunder. 
Thursday Thunder continues from Claremont, Indiana, the Indianapolis Raceway Park, where we are live. It was then that Jeff's racing fame really took off as a national television audience tuned in to watch the teenage sprint car sensation. You know, racing sprint cars the way I, I, I was racing locally, then I was racing um, All-Star, then I got a chance to race some outlaw races once I was 16. Um, you know, doing that, I mean, you get a, a, a small sense of, of the celebrity in, in a small way in, in that. And, and I and being the young kid out there, and then when I started winning, I, I, I had a chance to experience some of that. But... The Thursday Night Thunder, before it became Saturday Night Thunder, that's when it went to the next level. Dave Despain anchored many of those Thursday and Saturday Thunder telecasts. The first time I talked to him, he was still in the little pretend-like mustache and mullet stage. (laughs) And he wasn't terrific as an interview. But you could see that he understood what he was doing he he had he and his stepfather had figured out how the game is played and he didn't have his game down yet but you could see him working on it i mean week to week to week in that first year that i did the series he just got better and better and better as an interview and you and you could see him using stuff that he pulled from other guys you could almost hear daryl waltrip talking about the you know the gatorade chevy when he would drop in the name of the of a sponsor on the car and and you know everybody did that but gordon did it better quicker and more effectively i think than anybody i ever saw because he understood it he, he knew that that was going to be a crucially important part of his future Jeff's stepdad, John Bickford. When USAC needed to promote a race, they called Jeff. When Terry Linger at Linger Group was producing Thursday Night Thunder, which became Saturday Night Thunder, he needed somebody that could come in on the, just at the last minute, do whatever they needed. Jeff was the guy. And it was the guy because he was trying as hard to do the media thing as he was driving the race car. He was entertaining. He had charisma. You know, we didn't can and we didn't practice them to be canned speeches or any of these things just go on there careful your language speak intelligently and if you're excited be excited just be yourself just be who you are you know that's who the public wants to hear about that's when we realized wow you know this has a broad um, appeal in, in a way to grow your 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 career in a different way than we were thinking before it was well maybe if you race sprint cars you maybe one day you can be come Mario Andretti or AJ Foyt where they moved to Indy cars. That was not the case. I mean, not in those days, not in the 80s. That may have been the case in the 60s and early 70s, but certainly wasn't the case anymore. And and yet this opportunity to get on TV would give us an opportunity to maybe um, get you know, more sponsors or, or notoriety or, or you know, build uh, my name up in a way that maybe would open more doors. And it did. On the track, Jeff continued to win. He was the 1989 USAC Midget Rookie of the Year at age 18. At 19, he won the 1990 USAC Silver Crown. And he continued to seek out opportunities in racing's big leagues. You know, Jeff Gordon had already been through the IndyCar paddock uh, pretty thoroughly and couldn't get the time of day. Uh, I don't 
I hope that there's nobody in the world who believes that Jeff Gordon could not have been a huge IndyCar star uh, because he, you know, he has that talent and he had the background and he had everything he needed, but, you know, except a check, um, you know, from a Brazilian bank. And as a result, he ended up going stock car racing. His dreams of IndyCar success going nowhere, Jeff would have to blaze a new trail south. Next time on Jeff Gordon, the colorful career of the Rainbow Warrior. I went down to Buck Baker Driving School, which again, Larry Newber helped set up. We took some ESPN cameras uh, down and and filmed some of it and then put it on TV. So some somewhat of a, of a swap out, I guess you could say, for the school and some promotion for Buck. Unexpected opportunities lead to another move and the start of a beautiful and legendary racing partnership. Until next time, I'm Brian Nelson. This program was a presentation of the Motor Racing Network with studios in Concord, North Carolina and Daytona Beach, Florida. Jeff Gordon, The Colorful Career of the Rainbow Warrior, was written and produced by Brian Nelson. Any use of the accounts or descriptions contained within this broadcast must be with the express written permission of NASCAR and the Motor Racing Network. Wheelan Engineering, a global leader in the emergency warning industry, designs and manufactures reliable and powerful warning lights, white illumination lighting, sirens, controllers and warning systems for the automotive, aviation and mass notification industries worldwide. Wheelan products are designed, sourced and manufactured in America and tested on site to meet the toughest industry standards. Wheelan Engineering, manufactured in America for over 70 years. We never left and we're here to stay.